Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Up Delete. My guest today is with Emma Forrest. She is one of my favourite writers of all time. She's published three novels, an essay collection and a memoir, Your Voice in My Head, which is one of my favourite memoirs ever on mental health. I really recommend ordering a copy. And she also recently wrote and directed her first feature film, Untogether. Today we're here to discuss Emma's new novel, Royals, which is out now. It was a Radio 2 book club pick and it was selected as a Grazia Book of the Year. Royals has been described as devastating, dazzling, queer and radical and a love story between two unlikely friends from completely different worlds. It's about working out who you are and what you want. It's a tale of giddy happiness, crushing lows and ultimately the fragility of lives lived too fast. It's a brilliant book. I definitely urge you to go and grab a copy as well as all of Emma's other work and writing. I loved recording this one with Emma, having read her work for many years. We discuss her career, her creativity, and if you enjoyed it, please do go and leave a rating on iTunes. It will really help other people discover the episode. So here it is, and I will see you next week. I'm so excited to be with Emma Forrest, someone that I have followed for years. Can we go back to the beginning for anyone that doesn't know? Because you have a really interesting kind of um, Origin childhood <laughs> slash, um, you know, ha- having a Sunday Times column when you were a teenager yeah. and, and all of that. I, I just wondered, you left school, didn't you? And you kind of okay. went straight into it. Here's what happened. It, really, everything useful a writer can do is rooted in um, who do you feel lust towards and as a young person, as a 13-year-old, I was absolutely besotted with Stephen Fry. He was like my dream man. Um, and I wrote to him to ask to interview him for my school magazine. And he wrote a beautiful, charming letter back, but I didn't get an interview with him. But I wrote to people I just wanted to engage with. And Nigella Lawson, who went to my school before me, um, gave me an interview and I went, over there and I interviewed her and she started it all because she then said to the Evening Standard I met this young girl who you might want to consider as a music reviewer and the very first piece I ever had published was a review of Erotica by Madonna and in the Evening Standard and that was on Nigella's recommendation and then I had something to show and it went from there. That's amazing because that curiosity and just reaching out to people can be really scary but you you clearly just did it like you like there was something inside you that was like I need to go and get these stories yeah I did I think you know when people talk about self-esteem problems genetically for me and for my kid as well I noticed it's that our self-esteem is too high so (laughs) there's that awful moment where I, I just remember being about 10 and standing up in the bath and seeing myself in the mirror and it hitting me crushingly that my mother was wrong and I wasn't the most beautiful girl in the world, that I was maybe like, you know, the 29th most beautiful, you know, and it has fallen from there. But um, yeah, uh, having that high self-esteem problem, you run up against some interesting um, uh, come to Jesus moments and dark nights of of the soul. I think I had that actually, because I, my parents were very, very kind of overly like, you're amazing, you're the best thing, you're so special. Um, Like the classical, the classic millennial thing as well, that you grow up thinking you're amazing. But I remember like meeting boys and being like, why don't they fancy me? Oh my God. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Like shocked. No, Emma, my mum having to sit me down and like really gently explain that not everyone was going to be attracted to me because (laughs) I was so offended. I remember just like wanting this boy arrested. 
Um, but yeah, coming to terms with that, that men might have types and yeah. Yeah, how yeah. dare they? Yeah. I really became really into you and your writing when I read Your Voice in My Head. Yeah. I read it on a holiday and I love reading books, you know, when you just like, yeah. you just inhale them Can by, I ask by the holiday? pool. So it was like 2012, I think the year it came out. Where right? were you? Um, in Portugal. <gasps> I felt really in your head mm. and I felt like I knew you when I'd finished the book and mm. people must say that to you a lot. They do, yeah, I mean, you now know the process of writing a book. It's very strange because you say you spend a year writing it. You'll then spend probably, you know, at least six months editing it, maybe a year. Mm. And then it takes now minimum a year for it to come out, often a year and a half before it comes out because they have slots for what they think are summer books and what they think are, you know, literary books for the for the autumn and so there's that really weird waiting period where you actually feel like a fantasist. You know, mm-hmm. people ask what you're doing and you explain it and you say you can read it in a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, it is me, but it is also, um, there's a jet lag, there's a soul lag yes. to it. It's yeah. interesting that, isn't it? Because I think, um, like you just said, being a writer, you have to learn to be patient. And yeah. but then but then I don't know about you, but I'm very impatient as a person. So it's like that was always yeah. really hard. Yeah, I always think that your best quality is also your worst quality, and everything extraordinary that's come my way and everything dangerous and destructive is because of impulsivity. Mm. It's true. Yeah. But looking back on that book, um, it wasn't that long ago. It did come out in 2012, right? Or yeah, earlier. But that is a long time. It, it ago. feels like a lifetime Especially ago. Especially given that I would have written it two years before it came out yes and I feel like at the time I know it's different in America but I hadn't read anything really about mental health and therapy in that in that raw way I feel like the times have moved on and people are talking about it more but I feel like that was the first of its kind that book oh thank you so much I mean I um had made there's a purity to that book because I had absolutely made myself a deal that I would write it to stay alive and if when it was finished I considered it a strong enough piece of writing to go out into the world then I would publish it but it was the first time I went in with that very pure feeling of not having an advance and and writing it really kind of honestly as a suicide note that hopefully would never be Mm. left for anyone Mm. you know were you able to accept that it was a good book like oh no absolutely um I and I know I know my work well enough to know that the things that come quite quickly and almost like fever dreams are my strongest mm-hmm. pieces and that I guess it's not as strong when it takes a long time. I, I lose the threads and it doesn't have the same impact and immediacy. So, you know, that was written quickly and in it and just head above water. Uh, and then it's interesting when you're done to look at the water and see what's really in there and how deep it is mm. yeah talking of dreams though, yeah i did read that your amazing novel that's just come out royals oh. everyone needs to read it <laughs> please pause this podcast now and just like google it now <laughs> that came to you in a dream did it yeah i've i've so um one of my favorite la things that i did was um i learned how to meditate how to do mm. transcendental meditation and what's um, the difference between transcendental versus um, well tm you you do twice a day every day um for like 10 or 20 minutes and the point is that um you go with the noise in the in the morning it's probably not all it doesn't feel all that useful or helpful and it feels like you're not doing anything but it's like turning on a tap 
and letting it run until the water runs clear. And it also is in lure often of sleeping because you can really feel like you've napped by doing it. Oh, wow. Um, so that really helped. And, and, and again, like, God bless pop cultural fixations because I really only went into it because I knew how into it David Lynch was and I had read his guide. I think it's called uh, Fishing for the... You know what? I can't remember. David Lynch wrote a guide to meditation and um, about how he gets the images in his films from because it's so obvious when you watch my Holland drive it's like that came to someone oh God, in a dream yeah and it kind of feels like a film about people's dreams bleeding into each other and overlapping so I learned how to meditate uh, my writing immediately was stronger because your voice in my head would be the first one I wrote on TM on meditation and uh, those Images that came to me for royals, what was really interesting was that I always have a paper and pen by my bed in case I get those ideas in my sleep. But I had started to have the dreams sequentially so that I knew that when I went to bed, more of the story would unfold. And I've never had that before. And to be honest, I don't expect to have that happen again. Um, it may have been, you know how Joni Mitchell says that um, her album Blue is a nervous breakdown on record before people talked about nervous breakdowns or had a word for it. It may be it was some kind of like psychotic break, but it was an incredible experience and I would just scramble to write it all up. Was it like day. watching a film? No, it wasn't like writing a f- uh, watching a film, but by the time I edited the book, I had directed a film, so I was able to look and say, uh, this is a set piece. You know, this feels uh, like the opening of the book is mm. a set piece from a movie. And I knew that. And so it was also really exciting to write the first novel after directing the first film. Right. Yeah. yeah. I bet they helped each other. They do. And there's, you know, there's other people who do it really beautifully, like David Nichols goes between um, novels mm. and screenplays. And I feel that in his novels. I can feel the cinematic presence and pull. And obviously Alex Garland, I would say that of the novelist to writer-directors, he's by far the most successful um, creatively. Those are just such extraordinary images. And I think the the, the danger for a, a writer turned filmmaker is that you just lean on being a good writer. Mm-hmm. But I think it's sort of disrespectful to the medium if you also don't melt into the visual image you know otherwise why are you there totally I mean sometimes I feel like we can box ourselves in and you know when you're told as a child like oh you're good with words that's your thing yeah and then because I have this now where people are like oh would you ever write a script and I'm like no 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 not Mm. a visual person and it's like am I not or am I just telling myself I'm not I think you are I mean I think it's very inspiring to see all the you know I think you chose the colors on your dress and the ring in your nose and which side of your nose you put the ring and those are all filmmaker decisions actually I mean the greatest piece of advice I had about directing was that um, you're going to have to accept you'll have to make decisions knowing that they may be the wrong ones Mm. and that was really exciting to me and something that I've kept in my life since then I really want to talk to you about the film because okay, I loved okay. it. I watched okay. it. Um, but about Royals, so it's set in the 80s. Yes. Which I loved because I love 80s music. And yeah. just, I, I was born in 89, but yeah. I'm like, I wish I was born earlier yeah. so I could have enjoyed that decade. Yeah. 
did you and the characters so we've got yeah. Jasmine and we've got Stephen yeah. both from wildly different backgrounds mm. but end up in the same hospital mm. for different mm. reasons yeah. An amazing story I was so gripped did you have a point to make with the book just because I feel like it's very relevant in terms of um you know reaching out to the other other side whatever that might be yeah. and, and striking up relationships well, no, not that, because actually having come here from America, I've, I, I, I'm very much in a place of the, absolutely no point reaching out to the other side. It's acceptance that there's good people and bad people, and I'm not going to talk to the bad people. But uh, using the marriage of Charles and Diana as the backdrop to this friendship between these two sort of broken souls, I did very much want to explore our fairy tales versus what it is to live in reality. Mm-hmm. Because also, remember, with that book, I was editing, editing it right when I'd moved from Los Angeles to London. And LA's extraordinary because it's a dreaming board and it's a place to, in a way that I don't judge at all, not quite live in reality, to live in an altered reality. And I actually am really enjoying London. It's a completely different feeling. I feel very earthed here I feel of the earth I can feel every footstep on the ground whereas in LA I sort of felt like I was floating up into the sky a lot of the time but I've made a deal with myself that if there's a point in my life emotionally where I need to return to an enhanced and altered reality I won't judge myself for Mm, that of course it's good to know it's always there yeah but do you find it's kind of interesting that you have you've really seen into that world of kind of Hollywood the yeah. glitz and the glamour. Because yeah. this, I know this book is always set in a different time, but it mm. is quite dazzling with like the world. Yeah. Um, I, there's different strands. I was thinking a little bit about Grace Kelly and high society. I was thinking about the image of Debbie Harry, so extraordinarily beautiful that she could reach into the hot New York trash and pull out a bin bag and turn it into a dress. And because she looked how she looked, it looked amazing. I was, the funny thing about Jasmine, I remember I was on a jury in LA before I moved back here and it was a long, long trial and it was very stressful and boring. And one day a witness was called to the stand who was physically beautiful and I felt so re-energized and it really made me think about actually the role of beauty and the gift of beauty to the viewer and that's that's Jasmine and it's... um set free a lot of the people around her and broken her down somewhat. And isn't it so interesting that some of these, the most beautiful people, they never really know their own beauty? Oh, yeah. Which is such a shame. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe um, not. But, but, I mean, I think it also... I think there's a reason that Gloria Steinem is so traditionally beautiful that she was able to go undercover as a Playboy bunny to expose Mm -hmm. the Playboy Corporation... I would have to assume that Gloria Steinem looks in the mirror slightly less than a lot of other women. And because she is so extraordinarily beautiful, it gave her a superpower just to like get on with mm. things. I may be wrong, but this is what I fantasize, that there's she doesn't have that part of her life where she's felt insecure about her looks and spent X amount of time in front of the mirror. She's just gone out there and kicked ass. That's really true. Yeah. With the film, because yeah. that, that was that was brilliant, that film. But you worked with your 
husband. Yes. Had you had you separated before or during so or after? So it was. It's, it's a great story because um, I started writing that screenplay right when I met Ben, my who's my ex-husband and um, who is a great actor and who I have a lot in common with artistically. In that, the reason Ben's a great actor is you can feel the feeling when you watch him you're like oh it's a human having a feeling and I think that's what people react to in your voice in my head and in the strongest parts of my writing is a real tangible (laughs) feeling so we did want to work together and because you'd read each other's work before you well I had seen his film Animal Kingdom and he had read your voice in my head and so we had an idea of each other before we started dating and the great thing is that once we agreed to separate that love we had for each other's work and that respect we had for each other's work I think really eased the transition we definitely didn't consciously uncouple but we've changed shape in a sort of weirdly um, probably more intimate and more loving than we were as a couple and a lot of that has to do with the work Mm -hmm. now would I want to direct him again and would he want to direct be directed by me again I don't know about that (laughs) it was rough but that was the rough stuff and Mm -hmm. it meant that um the actual separation I think we got the hard stuff out of the way that's amazing and and for him to still commit to it and to be in it well, yeah, I also t- I also told him if he pulled out, I'd offer it to Russell Crowe. So he <laughs> he, he insisted on staying in. Yeah, because with the, some of the publicity for the book, yeah. you, you, I know you've you have written publicly yeah. about this, which, yeah. which is why I'm asking. Yeah. Otherwise, I, no I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but do you think, as a writer, like you, you know, you you can just write what you want to, or did you did you kind of get approval before the Guardian oh, no. article, for example? Oh yeah, yeah. No, um, any time I've written about a man that I've loved, I've given it to them in right. advance before it goes to press uh, and said, is there anything you want to change? And Ben is, I'm just so glad he's the one I married um, because having divorced him, he's the one who says, you're a great writer. And, you know, I wouldn't tell the story the same way and I have different feelings about it, but I would never, ever censor you. Mm. And oh, I've been waiting wow. for that all my life. To yeah. respect the medium in that yeah. way is yeah. the dream. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because um, sometimes I think it's a bit of a murky one with memoir. I don't know if everyone does ask permission; they just change details. I've or they... definitely. Have you seen Marriage Story? No, but I need to see it. Yeah. Um, I. I mean, obviously, cause it's an amazing film, but also I'm obsessed with Adam Driver. What, I mean, like he's my ultimate he's crush. Lo- he's well. I'll give you a good story in a minute. Um, <laughs> say Adam Driver, and I'll come back to it. Um, but. Uh, I love that film, but I really do want to know um, if he, if the writer-director ran it by his ex-wife, Jennifer Jason Lee. Is it Noah? Noah Baumbach, yeah. Please. I was in the odd position of feeling slightly uncomfortable about whether the things that were being said and portrayed had been approved. Yes. Because if it's slightly fictionalised, isn't that a loophole? Because it's like, yeah. you know, you can't always map it back to things. Or... Yeah, it's 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 tricky. I mean... I had a writing teacher who said to me, and I put it in on Together in my movie, when it hits the page, it's yours. But that's nebulous, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's been sort of the bane of my life until divorcing Ben and him giving me this blessing. Do you think that's why a lot of sort of memoir or non-fiction writers do write novels? Because it's like there's a bit more of a freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Fiction. And I know, you know, that's why people often make 
that there's things you can do through the lens of horror that uh, are very freeing, especially when you're telling women's stories. If you think about Rosemary's Baby and, and Carrie, well, it's interesting, both of those were told by men. I'd love mm. to hear the female horror story that comes from a divorce or, yeah, yeah, that's that would be really cool. Yeah. And with, with the film, so did you, what sort of director are you? How do you work with people? I made, well, I think I'm a director with taste, so I made sure that uh, I had an impeccable director of photography, Autumn Durald, who's very experienced and um, so technically um, impeccable that I knew I would that she would have that side of it and I would be able to work with the actors. Mm. And for anyone listening, yeah. uh, we just mentioned Adam Driver. It's, um, what's her name? Yes, yeah, so here, now you've wound <laughs> me back to the story. So the lead in my movie is Jemima Kirk. Jemima Kirk, and, yes. Um, when I was directing it, my director of photography had a small child. I had a small child. Jemima was there with her two small children. And I remember one night, she was staying at the Chateau Mama where we were shooting and... Um, <laughs> and um, Adam Driver was staying at the Chateau and Jamie Dornan, who's the other star of yeah. my movie, was staying at the Chateau. And we had all the kids together in her suite. And we literally took, she said, let's take it in turns to have one drink each. And so she would watch my kids. And I went down and had one drink with Jamie and then swapped. And she had one drink with Adam and then swapped. <laughs> and I got to meet Adam, and then came back up, and yeah, it was. I it love was, that. It's yeah. like a speed dating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really lovely. That's yeah. actually a really good idea for an evening. It, it, it was <laughs> delightful, and the kids liked it too. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you learn anything kind of interesting about just releasing a film? I feel like not many people have, oh, and and I know that it's yeah. it's a we, I mean, we don't know behind the scenes what goes okay, on. Okay, so behind the scenes, it's been it's far enough away that I, I I have no. I had a producer on the movie who's my guy and who I'm very close to, a guy called Scott Lestati, who was like physically there for me every step of the way and, you know, there in the editing suite with me. We had a hard time getting the money because here's one behind the scenes thing is no matter who you think is a star, they're not really considered enough to finance a movie. So until we had Jamie Dornan, we didn't have the money. And uh, the financiers control how the film is released. So um, the best deal for them was this dreaming deal that didn't put it in theatres whereas we had offers for less money that would have had it in theatres and obviously that would have been my infinite preference because I really love how it looks mm. but I don't ever say I have no say in that and so occasionally the movie pops up at like it's on tonight at the Jewish Film Festival at the Everyman and even I want to go and see it because it's, it is going to be rare to see it on a big yes. screen um, I would definitely want to see it again in a in a oh, cinema for sure thank you yeah, yeah. it's so really that's beautiful. you know and then you reckon with that and you come to terms with it you're like well look you know they gave me the money to make my film no one else did that's the deal they wanted to make it hurts a lot but um i'm incredibly grateful that someone financed my movie yeah so when you when you get an idea just um out of interest do you know this is a film this is a novel this is a article no funnily enough uh no and the easiest thing to do or the the most sensible thing to do when when those because i get too many ideas it's like with the meditation you know in the meditation but also you know i'm 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 inherently a manic person so when i get a lot of those ideas um and i haven't had any episodes of mania in 
such, you know, like probably decades or at least 15 years, those moments of, is this a manic episode or is this just a great idea? You know, that's sometimes a little mm -hmm. alarming to me. So the first thing I'll do is I'll write it down as a short story. Um, and, and I have a piece that I wrote up as a short story And for the f very first time, I looked at it and went, oh, this is a play, which is something I've never tried wow. before. So now I'm writing my first play. That's amazing. Because yeah. I think for a lot of creative people, that can be actually quite paralyzing when you're like, I have an idea, but this literally could be anything. It could be a podcast series. It could be a book. I have an idea for a podcast series. Do you want to know it? It's called Why Did You Hate Me? And you talk about the person from childhood or your teen years who most wounded you with your not being able to understand why they didn't like you. Whoa, and you, you talk about it do. and then you find them. And, and you, you track and them you, down. And you check whether they really did hate you. Or... Oh, my God. <laughs> Please do that. But you get celebrities to do it. That would yeah. be so great because I think as well a lot of it is in our heads. Yeah. And I and I, I have convinced myself certain people don't like me and they do. Like yeah. they, I mean, there are plenty of people that don't, but weirdly you aren't aware of the ones that actually do or don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I, it's kind of reminds me of, um, I think there's a documentary somewhere on the internet of people who met up with their trolls, their internet trolls. Oh, oh, and it's so like, great. why did you do that? And yeah. then by the end, they're having a cup of tea together. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just wild. Yeah, it's also a good name. Why did you hate me? Often my stuff comes from yes. a, just a title and I think, oh, I better create a plot around that. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, you have to do it now. Okay. Now you said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how has it been being back in London and um, kind of promoting a book and being back here? Being back in London's actually been great because I think I'm just using the city correctly. First of all, I've been away for so long, you know, for half my life. It's I very went... exciting that you're here, by the way, because oh, I feel like I, for some reason I thought you were still there. And then I was like, when are we going to do the podcast? And just oh. knowing you're like here is so nice. Thank you, Emma. Um, I feel like if I weren't engaging with the city in terms of like immediately joining the V&A, joining the Royal Academy, going to the theatre, going to the ballet, walking across Westminster Bridge and all of that, I would just probably be sitting around saying I'm cold. Um, but if you utilise the city correctly, it's amazing. No, that's that's just reminded me to be more of a kind of, not a tourist in a city, but just a I, I do... Sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, this is like, look at the city and what it has to offer. It's amazing. You've got to wander lonely as a cloud. You know, yeah. it's just a great city. That The thing that I've noticed is that um, when I left Los Angeles in L.A. and certainly in New York, and men would talk to me in cafes and in the gym and in Pilates. And I got on a plane to move to London. And when I got off the plane, either I lost every ounce of charm and attraction that I previously had or this is a completely different culture because it, I really had to adjust to men not talking to me in public yeah. and I've been told is it because everyone's online but I think I'm kind of dating the city I love that yeah that's another um okay. title for something yeah. <laughs> you have had such a long and successful career in writing mm. Is there anything that you can pass on that's just kind of, um, it doesn't have to be like a writing process thing, but just like how to maintain that sort of love for it and motivation? Well, specific to writers and probably to painters, I would say never lose sight of the fact that the first draft can just be terrible and that's fine. Don't ever expect the first draft to be any good. It's, I don't think it's meant to be. 
the first draft is just to get the scribble nonsense. It, the first draft is the turning on the tap to let mm. it start running clear. And uh, I, I, I've just, I've never had that. I, uh, and I love, you know, it's been such a long time since I was a journalist, but I have held on to the editing process and I do love removing words. That brings me as much joy as adding words. And even like Emma, there's, there's two entire novels that the world's never seen because I finished them and they didn't have that feeling of when I say the suicide letter I mean like how do you explain yourself to the world if you weren't going to be here anymore mm-hmm. you know and that's what the work is meant to be for me yes I mean it makes me kind of um f- feel like I should spend longer editing because I think there is there's like writers who really craft it and mm. they absolutely the writing is is the sentences are everything mm. and then i think there's some writers who kind of throw things at the wall a bit and they're like i, mm. I just want this out there and i don't even care how it really sounds Mm-mm-mm. and it's um it's really inspiring to kind of hear that because i think it is it takes a lot of work a really useful thing for anyone no matter what kind of art you're making go watch or rewatch a hard day tonight which is the beatles mm. black and white movie it's exactly an hour and a half long and all of it feels improvised and none of it is. It is wow. so finely tuned and calibrated and really spare. And it's just a fantastic screenplay that feels like an hour and a half of conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It was all really, really, really carefully, specifically put together. Um, and that's sort of the dream. Like, that's what I assume I was saying to you before um, how much I love Dolly Alderton's columns Mm. and they have that feeling of just like la 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 chat 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 but no way like you can feel that every word that's there is meant to be there and there's nothing extraneous yes and I feel like those are the writers that make other people want to write yeah which I kind of love yeah and sort of the proto um Dolly although I don't even know if Dolly likes her stuff is Eve Babbitts who is an amazing LA um 1960s and 70s writer very much in the same tone of the girl dating the city um but hers are all about los angeles Mm. and they have that same sort of um feeling that they're they feel like jazz uh you know the best actors like i would say okay let's go back to your boy adam driver what's so moving about his work is that it feels like he's surprising himself with the words that come out of his mouth. Yeah. But clearly that's not the case because he learned them and he memorised them. But to put it out in, into the world as if it's surprising even you, that's the best you could hope for as a writer. Wow. Yes. I think y- you have to do it so much to improve, don't you, as well? Yeah. Like just as you as you move through the world, you're yeah. like learning new things. I'm so grateful that the you know, my columns for the Sunday Times from when I was a teenager, there's no I assume God pray there's no archive because it's pre-internet, you know, I was 16. I can't imagine they're any good. Like, I, I don't know what they were thinking giving me a column, but thank God they did, because just that weekly thing, like, eventually, after a couple of years, I was okay. And then mm. after a couple of books, I was pretty good. Yes. I know, I, I um bought jo- one of Joan Didion's very, very, very yeah. first books, like, when she was super young. Yeah. And, yeah, it's not... It's not the Joan yeah. Didion that we know, but that's obviously mm. like you don't just come out of the womb like yeah. fully, fully formed. Oh god, it was so crushing to me that they published Go Set a Watchman, which was the Harper oh, Lee yeah. um, draft. It's a draft, like no writer wants a first draft. 
published. It's God. just, it's, it's, it's um, lifting a magic spell. It's so cruel. It's so weird. I, I, re- I remember reading through one of my book contracts. Um, obviously, I, I had someone read it for me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it says something like, if you die before it's published, like, we can basically do what we want to it and publish it. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. I remember reading the contract for When Your Voice in My Head was going to be a movie with Warner Brothers, and there was something about um, action figurines. I was like, this is, <laughs> these are going to be amazing action figurines of two people talking in a psychiatrist's office. Oh, my God. Okay, last question. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, With Royals, this is a hard question, but what what are you hoping people get from it? I hope people get comfort from it and I hope they feel optimism because the world is strange and out of control and cruel and it's something for two people to find each other even if it's just a moment in time that can't hold. And I hope that that readers find that comforting yes i definitely did okay (laughs) thank you so much emma and um everyone listening please go and buy all of emma's books because they're amazing (laughs) but start with royals start with royals work your way back thank you thank you thanks so much